It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1, and the draft is coming up. So, of course, this is the time of year that we bring in a bunch of interesting guests who really know what they're talking about in terms of a variety of different prospects. And I wanted to get a point of view that's different than what we normally get. We'll get scouts sometimes, people that study the draft. But I've got somebody here who is not only an analyst and does this for a living in terms of analyzing college talent, but he's a longtime coach and an excellent player at the collegiate level too, a safety at the University of Washington in the mid-90s, and then a coach, first as an assistant for South Florida, then making his way to Portland State and Oregon State as assistant coach for the defensive backs, then defensive coordinator at Nevada, and finally, he was a head coach at Portland State for a couple of years. Nowadays, as I said, he's an analyst. He works for the Pac-12 Network, analyzing all of the games and the players that we're going to talk about on the podcast today. Plus, he also is a morning show host. He does Rip City Mornings with his partner, Dan Shelton, every single morning from 6 to 9 Pacific time. And also, he is simulcast on television, so you can watch him on NBC Sports Northwest. Mr. Nigel Burton. Nigel, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Anytime. And uh, you left out uh, a couple other. I've got I got uh, all kinds of jobs, man. I do some stuff for the uh, Oregon State Beavers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got uh, uh, a rental house. I also chase, I'm also a chauffeur for both of my kids <laughs> for all their sporting <laughs> events. Typically. I'm my wife's whipping boy, and uh, I do lawn maintenance, but only on one particular property of my own. So uh, I've got about 19 jobs. Nigel, 19 is not enough because your services are so in demand. We forgot also, by the way, that you run the football camps, too. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had uh, the football camps since I was coaching, so... Yeah, you know, try to stay busy, but uh, but it's been good. And uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to getting a chance to talk a little West Coast football uh, with you. That uh, I know a lot of your, uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners and you being out on the East Coast maybe don't get a chance to catch as much. But uh, uh, lots of great talent coming out of the Pac-12 this year. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on because I feel like there are a lot of players that people don't get the opportunity to watch close enough. And I also love the fact that as a former coach, you have a special eye for a lot of these things that other people might not. The Pac-12 has been your home for so many years because you were a player in the Pac-12, then you were a coach in the Pac-12, and now you cover it as an analyst. So let's talk about some of the receivers first because that's a particular area of interest for Jets fans. 
three receivers that seem to be on a lot of radars in terms of rounds two, three, and four. LaVisca Chenault, the receiver from Colorado, as well as Michael Pittman Jr., the receiver from USC who has a connection to Sam Darnold, and Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver from Arizona State playing for our old friend Herm Edwards. Talk to me a little bit about those three. What do you see when you watch them? You know, LaVisca Chenault's been an interesting case because, um, you know, he's a guy that at one point people would have said, you know, he's going to be the next great star uh, in terms of uh, the Pac-12 at wide receiver. He was a guy who, I mean, he burst on the scene. I remember it was his sophomore year against Nebraska, catching a winning touchdown in the corner. And really, at one point, looking like he was going to be maybe the offensive player of the year, an All-American candidate, possibly up for the Heisman, people pushing him. And he got hurt towards the end of that year. He came back last year and uh, just never could make the transition, you know, in terms of the the offense, which which got uh, redone a little bit under Mel Tucker, uh, couldn't find his footing, and then also got hurt. But everybody knew the talent was there. And then he went and did not run the greatest uh, 40 of all time um, when uh, he got a chance to kind of show out in terms of uh, the, the uh, NFL combine running only a four, five, eight. And so, you know, right now I'd say the stock for him has, has been dipping, but when you watch his film, I mean, the, the talent is, uh, is easy to see. And, you know, a guy that I really love, man, is Michael Pittman Jr. I, I just, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out, how he wasn't uh, an all-world guy, you know. And when you looked at, you know, a lot of the names coming out of the Pac-12 last year, you know, typically Michael Pittman Jr.'s name wasn't one of the first four or five you'd hear. And he's a guy who, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, built like a house, uh, could run, attacks the football. Plus, he's got an NFL pedigree with his dad having played in the league uh, for as long as he had. Um, it's just, uh, to me, he might be in terms of general managers, the can't miss guy, because, you know, if you, you miss on a guy who maybe had a bad 40 at the combine, you know, the owner's going to look at you sideways. If you, you look at it, you know, you, you take a guy who maybe is undersized coat, you know, they look at you sideways when, when you got a guy who's as big as he is, can run, played at a big time program, showed up big in big games and has an NFL pedigree. He's probably the guy who I think will make a lot of GMs comfortable. The guy who actually has really um, kind of jumped up draft boards is Brandon Ayuk. I mean, when you when you look at what he did in big games, and I go back to that Oregon game um, that basically kept Justin Herbert and the Oregon Ducks out of the CFP, um, you know, he's a guy who uh, was huge in that game, game-sealing touchdown, um, and has really, really used this off, this off time before the draft and, and really done well with it. And so he's a guy who's who's jumping up boards uh, a, a lot to the point where some people have him at the end of the first round as well. What about other receivers in the Pac-12? Because those are the three that everybody's been focusing on. Are there any others that could be sleeper picks for perhaps day three? You know, uh, Isaiah Hodgins is a guy, that same thing. Dad played in the league at, out of Oregon State, big body, six foot four, two ten. Um, I've gotten to know him really well living here in the state of Oregon is everything you would want and not just a football player off the field, but a, a, a child. I mean, you'd want him to be your son. You want to be 
uh, a guy like Isaiah Hodgins. And so the issue for him is he's not going to be great in terms of, uh, 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 you know, he, he's not going to stretch the field much for you at the NFL level. He's not a, a guy who's going to scare you with the, 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 the deep speed, but he's also kind of a gamer. You know, it, it mainly what, it, what matters is, you know, he's just fast enough. But when it comes to route running, when it comes to the ability to play the football uh, uh, in, in the air and, and some things like that, uh, there is no question that he's one of the top guys in the country. But when again, once again, I mean, he ran a four six one at the combine. You know that that didn't help him. He was hoping to be a, a high four four guy to really jump up some boards. But he's a guy who I think on day three could end up being a steal because of what's between his ears and and some things. So you know, he's a guy I like. I mean, when you can kind of continue to go down the list of guys, you know, that are. Uh, in the Pac-12, Aaron Fuller's a guy who at one point led the conference in receiving as a as a as a junior. He's a guy who is a deep threat. He does have that kind of speed that can do some things for you out of the University of Washington. Uh, Juwan Johnson out of Oregon as well, uh, a transfer out of Penn State, is a guy who uh, I think uh, you know, a big body guy, Desmond Patton as well, who is a guy out of Washington State who. Same thing, man. He walks on the field. You're like, gee, is he a defensive end? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's a wide receiver. I always just kind of felt like Patman, for some reason, never really lived up to what he could be at Washington State. So it'll be interesting to see if somebody takes a flyer on him. It could be one of those things where people try to, you know, figure out how the heck he ended up going in the round he went because he's such a freak athletically. Let's talk offensive line because the Pac-12 isn't necessarily known for being loaded with offensive linemen in this draft, but I think there are some pretty good options here. The two biggest names, I think, are Austin Jackson from USC, very divisive prospect. Some people really like him, others not so much. You've got Nick Harris, the center from Washington, a couple of guys from Oregon, Jake Hansen and Shane Lemieux. Shane Lemieux seems to me to be more of a run-blocking guard, less of a pass-blocking guard, which might not necessarily be a great fit for the Jets, but I want to see what you think about that. And then, obviously, Trey Adams, who is Nick Harris's teammate at the University of Washington. Tell me a little bit about some of these guys. You know, I mean, when you go down the list, you know, I, I got some questions on Austin, Austin Jackson myself. Um, you know, it's been up and down for the offensive line there at USC really for the last four or five years. And so, you know, he's a he's a raw guy. You know, when you, you look at him, you're like, man, this is what they're supposed to look like. But whether he lives up to that level of play or not, you know, kind of remains to be seen. I think, you know, you, you go down, you know, Shane Lemieux out of the University of Oregon. Um, he's a guy who he played pretty, he played well. Um, I think that group as a whole wish they had played a little bit better than, uh, you know, I, I don't know. If you watch them against Auburn, you're trying to figure out how they struggled throughout the year because that, those first three quarters, that offensive line in Oregon, when you throw in guys like Calvin Throckmorton and, and some of the other guys coming out this year from the University of Oregon's offensive line, they dominated uh, against Auburn for three, three and a half quarters. And then, you know, kind of the wheels fell off for them defensively. And so, and then when you look at, you know, the University of Washington's guys, Nick Harris, he, you know, the, the combine did not bode well for him very well. He was already an undersized guy, you know, at 6'1", 300 pounds, um, did not show the kind of strength I think that the NFL really was looking for. But once again, you go back to, here's a guy who got thrown in the fire against Alabama making his first start as a true freshman and actually held his own against some of the best offensive linemen, maybe in college football scene in the last five or 10 years. So, 
a lot of it is kind of between his ears in terms of what people like about him. He's got a level of swag to him that you don't see out of a lot of offensive linemen. Um, he's smart. He's technically sound. Um, and he can kind of run the show for you. And then Trey Adams is a guy who was a, uh, a top 10 pick at one point, um, true freshman, all American, just, it was, it was, the sky was going to be the limit for him. And unfortunately injuries have caught up with him so much that I think he's kind of a question mark for a lot of people in terms of, you know, will he be a guy um, who continues to be injury plagued or can he live up to what he was early on in his career? Nigel, one of your good friends from your days at the University of Washington is Lincoln Kennedy, who's one of the greatest offensive linemen in the history of college football and a pretty damn good pro, too. Legendary figure in the Pac-12. I know you get to watch him when he was at Washington and you're good friends with him, but I couldn't remember. Did you guys ever have the opportunity to play together? I got to be honest with you, Scott. Lincoln's old. <laughs> I'm not old. Lincoln's old. So we actually did not play together. He, uh, oh, okay. he was a few years older than me, so... But but yeah, the the legend of Lincoln Kennedy at, at the University of Washington is is uh, that's he quite he uh, casts quite the shadow, uh, figuratively and literally. I guess he looks younger than he actually is because I had forgotten exactly <laughs> what year he turned pro. But you know what Lincoln Kennedy did at your alma mater, the University of Washington. When you look at any of these guys, particularly Jackson, do you see any traits there that are similar at all? Do you think that any of these guys could turn into that type of pro? You know, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, I can call Lincoln old because he's my friend. <laughs> but uh, if I start to compare anybody coming out this year to him, um, I, I might be banned. I mean, <laughs> you're talking about the most dominant, op- the most dominant offensive lineman, possibly in the history of the Pac-12. I mean, you're definitely mm-hmm. talking top five. And so I don't think you're seeing that this year. The guy that people have compared to Lincoln Kennedy is actually not eligible this year. It's Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell at the University of Oregon is, is the only guy that I would probably put in the category of a Lincoln Kennedy um, right now. So of all these guys are really good players, and I think they'll be, they'll be good pros. But if, to put in that kind of a category, um, I, I think you're going to have to wait a year to see a guy who's in Lincoln Kennedy's category. Any sleepers, potential steals on day three? Uh, oh man, you're 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 making me rack my my mind a little bit in terms of uh, uh, guys who um, you know can be that guy, uh, especially offensive linemen. Because you know, I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes, yeah, the only time you hear their names is when they're doing something wrong. Uh, <laughs> I, I like Jared Hilbers out of the University of Washington. I think he's a guy um, who can be uh, a, a little bit sneaky. Um, can be, you know, a, a guy right now that, um, you know, could find himself on a roster and, and find a spot because he's he's had to adapt. And, you know, some of the injuries to guys like Nick Harris and Trey Adams and things uh, had to play guard and play tackle um, at the University of Washington. So I, I think he's a guy that because of his Swiss Army knife capability could be a dude. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk running back a little bit. There are some guys in the Pac-12 that are interesting prospects. Zach Moss from Utah is one of them. Eno Benjamin from Arizona State is a guy that we've heard mentioned as a potential fourth or fifth round pick. What do you think of those guys? Uh, one, um, you know, obviously uh, the, the guy that people are talking about the most is probably Zach Moss when you, you look at a guy who is just uh, built like a brick, you know, he's kind of in the mold of a, oh, 
quiet my space in right now. UCLA running back played in the league. Jacksonville Jaguars, of course. You know, I got all these names in my head. So Maurice Jones um, Drew. Maurice Jones Drew. I mean, he is uh, a little bit taller version of Maurice Jones Drew. I mean, he is just jacked and um, runs strong, runs powerful, but has the ability to break away. Um, probably at the next level, you're not going to see him rip off a bunch of 80 yarders. But I watched him in person hit a 90 yarder against Oregon State. Um, when Utah traveled to Corvallis, uh, I absolutely no different than I said, you know, um, Isaiah Hodgins is the kind of guy you'd want, uh, to raise your son to be like, you know, Benjamin is that dude. Um, you is a guy who, uh, I absolutely love his ability in the open field. I mean, he can, he can, he can break it down in a phone booth in terms of his ability to make moves. He's got a deadly spin move. Um, his ability to accelerate and jump cut. Uh, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He, he's got it all. And once again, uh, as a locker room guy, is absolutely um, – you, you're not going to get a better type of kid than Eno Benjamin. So I, I really would love to see him end up on a team that, um, you know, if the Jets will really, uh, you know, do things with the back out of the backfield, catching the ball in space, I think he would be a guy who would be lights out for them. Let's jump into your wheelhouse a little bit, Nigel, and talk about some defensive backs. A lot of people talking about Jace Whitaker, the slot corner from Arizona, as a potential steal late in the draft. Obviously, you've got some other prospects here that are a little higher up. Jalen Johnson from Utah is one of them. Talk to me a little bit about the defensive backs in the Pac-12 and who you like. Well, when it comes to playing against the best offenses and the best wide receivers, I mean, that's why you get great defensive back play out here. And so mm-hmm. uh, I love Chase Whitaker, uh, Jace Whitaker, just because my son's name is Jace. So uh, that's always, <laughs> he's always kind of like, hey, dad, you know, um, and he plays the ball really well. Jalen Johnson, and, and really, you know, you got multiple guys there at Utah. Um, you, you know, when you go down the list and, and you know, uh, it doesn't matter what level you're looking secondary guys, defensive linemen and Bradley and I, you know, Lecky Foto, you know, things like that. Um, but when you, you're looking at them, um, particularly on the defensive side of the ball with Julian Blackman and Jalen Johnson, those two guys, like, I'll be honest with you, Jay, uh, you know, Isaiah Hodgins was lighting the Pac-12 up um, in terms of uh, a wide receiver play. I mean, I think at one point he was averaging like two touchdowns a game. It was insane. And then he ran into these two guys and Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman, they've locked him down. Um, something awful. He wasn't able to separate. He wasn't able to, and, and I think that's what kind of knocked Isaiah Hodgins down and, and really catapulted Jalen Johnson is because his ability to just go one-on-one, which, you know, he did game after game, whether it was Isaiah Hodgins, whether it was, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., uh, whether it was LaVisca, it didn't matter who, he would lock them up. So Jalen Johnson, I think, uh, is a guy uh, who is uh, who's got a great, great future in the NFL. And then you know, there's uh, you know, once again, just kind of rolling through guys. You know, uh, coming out of Stanford, um, and goodness gracious, and I apologize because once again, just so many names because there's there's so much talent out here. Um, but there's 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 DBs everywhere, and obviously, you know, you got guys, you know. The, the, you know you know, the University of Washington has churned guys out, you know, uh, year after year. This might be a down year for them because they were so young. You know, Miles Bryant's a guy who a lot of people compared to uh, myself, actually, there at the University of Washington. Hmm. Uh, if he gets in the league, then he's already done better than I, <laughs> than I did. Um, but, uh, but no, there's, there's some guys out there who um, have really 
you know, Paulson Adebo is a guy who, you know, depending, you know, the problem is he, he came out uh, with an injury. And so, you know, he's a guy that people should kind of keep an eye on later on um, because of his length and, and some things. But, um, you know, you got, you got great, great DB play. Darnay Holmes is another guy out of UCLA, um, was a big time, you know, recruit. It was a guy who uh, everybody was talking about going into the season, but started the season banged up. Um, and I'm not sure ever really kind of took hold, but he's a guy as well uh, at the corner spot out of UCLA who is one of those kind of prototypical guys that I think will come off the board uh, sometime, if not day two, early in day three. There doesn't seem to be a ton of edge rush talent in the Pac-12 this year. It's a down year there. You've got a couple of guys out of Utah, for example, that might potentially be drafted within the first two or three days, particularly Bradley and I, who I do really like a lot. But it's still kind of up in the air. You've got Casey Tuhill from Stanford. Talk to me a little bit about the edge rushers, because I don't know that any of these names are going to jump off the page, but maybe there are some diamonds in the rough there. Yeah, you know, I, I, you're right. I mean, Bradley Nye is the guy who just uh, lit people up during the season. But, you know, I think some of his testing has been a little interesting. And I think as people broke down his film, you know, it, there were just so many guys like Ifotu and, and created some one-on-one opportunities for him that, you know, people have some question marks on. You know, you're right. This year for edge rushers, not the same. You know, there's no, yeah, you know, some of the guys, Terrell Suggs that came out of the, the Pac-12 back in the day. There's none of those guys yet. Wait about a year or two, and you're going to see some names coming out, whether it's Tryon, whether it's, you know, obviously the kid out of Oregon, guys who really came on the scene as young players, freshmen and sophomores. Uh, you're going to see probably guys who will be top 10, top 15 picks that are edge rushers coming out of the Pac-12, but they're just young. What about quarterback? We know about Justin Herbert, and I want to ask you about him because I know a lot of Jets fans would say, why do we need to know about Justin Herbert? The reason you need to know about Justin Herbert is because there's a possibility that Justin Herbert could sneak into the top 10, which would shove down a player that the Jets might want, whether it's a receiver, an offensive lineman, a cornerback, whatever. And we know that obviously the Jets like quarterbacks from the Pac-12 because their starting quarterback was in the Pac-12, Sam Darnold. There are other guys here too. I don't anticipate the Jets getting somebody like Jacob Eason, for example. I think he'd go a little bit too high, but perhaps somebody like Anthony Gordon from Washington State could be a possibility later on. Maybe Tyler Huntley from Utah. So talk to me a little bit about the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 and what do you think of Justin Herbert? Do you think that he's worth a top 10 pick? Oh, no question about it. I- I'll be honest with you. As I've heard these uh, draft guys talk about Justin Herbert, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out who the heck they're talking about. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like, like, you, like, I mean, those guys would die for him that he played with mm-hmm. at the University mm-hmm. of Oregon. And so, you know, people talk about that he wasn't a rah-rah, loud guy when he walked in the door. Well, no crap. Like, what true freshman walks into a place that was playing for national championships two years before they showed up and starts ordering people around. Like, I'm trying to figure out who is that guy. Like, nobody does that. As a matter of fact, the guy who walks in the door and tries to do that stuff, the older, the upperclassmen want to hang by their underwear up on the flagpole. So, of course, Justin <laughs> Herbert's not going to come in and do that. But as he got older, he became more vocal. But nobody ever questioned his work ethic. Nobody questioned his toughness. Nobody questioned any of those things around Eugene. So, yeah, I hear things about, oh, you know, it's with the, what's between his ears. I'm like, Oh, what's between his ears? You mean for the 4.1 GPA student? Like, 
what's between your ears? Like, what the hell are you talking about? So, <laughs> look, you know, I don't think there's any question he goes in the top in the top ten. Uh, matter of fact, if he makes it past six, I'll be shocked because you know everybody's obviously talking about the Bengals taking the kid out of LSU, who's an Ohio guy. And then it's a question of what happens at five or six in terms of Tua or Justin Herbert going um, to the Dolphins or to the Chargers, who the Chargers look like, you know, they've obviously moved on from Phillip Rivers. They're going to, you know, uh, Tyrod Taylor is going to be the guy who's going to be the bridge, whoever they take in the draft. And then the Dolphins, same thing with Fitzpatrick, whoever they take in the draft. So I, I, I would be stunned if – I wouldn't be surprised if, honestly, the Carolina Panthers don't make a move. I know they gave a lot of money to Teddy Bridgewater, but Teddy Bridgewater has been – hurt and been a backup for so long. I, I mean, can you really put your entire uh, uh, faith in, in, in Teddy Bridgewater for the Carolina Panthers? So I, I think that there are a lot of teams um, before the, before the jets go, that could take a quarterback uh, or surprise some people and take a quarterback that might push somebody down to them. So, you know, whether you're talking about any of those guys, you brought up a name and, and Aaron Gordon, who I, I love that kid. I remember the first time I saw him play against the university of Houston, I was like, Pfft. Gardner Minch who? Like, I don't know if they're going to miss Gardner Minch you because this kid is unbelievable. He made a sidearm throw that I can't even – I don't think I've ever even seen before. Um, so I, I really like him. Um, obviously, Jacob Beeson is an absolute freak in terms of what he's able to do with the ball in his hand. I mean, the guy, I feel like he, the guy could throw a ball through somebody. Um, he's just a guy who's got to get in the system and not play for a year. Um, if somebody – needs a quarterback to play next season and they take Jacob Beeson, I would really worry about throwing him on a field um, right now. But uh, like I said, uh, Anthony Gordon's a guy that I really like. And, um, you know, you kind of just roll through the list of, of different guys. And once again, you know, uh, Tyler Huntley out of the University of, of, of Utah, uh, I, I worry that people are going to pass on him because they're just he, – he was so erratic early in his career – but had an unbelievable senior season. And Steven Montez is a guy who forever will be a head scratcher to me. Like he, he'll be a legendary, what the heck happened Pac-12 guy because he burst on the scene back when Colorado was playing for a Pac-12 championship uh, at the University of Oregon as a, as a freshman and just looked unstoppable. And for whatever reason, because of offense coordinator issues, whatever, just never really, it, it just never clicked for him. Um, but once again, six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds. He can run. He's got a great arm. If somebody could be patient with him, uh, he might be a guy as well who could be a steal down the road. Nigel, let's put your coaching hat on for a second. Let's say you're Adam Gase and you're the head coach of the Jets, and you're working with Joe Douglas to build this roster. And you've got one pick in the first round at number 11. You've got the 48th pick. You've got two picks in the third round, a pick in the fourth. So you've got plenty of draft picks here. What would your okay. general strategy be and which of these players would you really be paying attention to trying to add to your roster? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad you didn't ask me a difficult question. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, just taking a look at what they've done in the offseason, I mean, picking up George Fant from uh, the Seattle Seahawks, who's, uh, you know, got some versatility that, you know, even played some tight end uh, for the Seahawks. But, you know, you, you got you, you to replace Robbie Anderson. And what can you do to get Le'Veon Bell going? If it's me, I always thought you built your teams with the lines. You build your teams with the offensive and defensive lines. And if I've got a young quarterback, I've got to find a way to protect and feel comfortable, and I've got to find a way to create some holes for one of the best running backs uh, that we've seen in the last decade in Le'Veon Bell. 
Um, I think that I got to find a weapon for him, for, for Sam Darnold. I got to find an offensive lineman to protect and open up some holes. So that would be probably what I would look for um, in my, in, in one of my first two picks, uh, possibly packaging some of those picks to move up to get a quality, quality offensive lineman and a quality wide receiver, as opposed to, you know, rolling the dice with some guys down the road. Um, I know they've talked about edge rusher and some things for the Jets as well, possibly a, a corner um, and some things. But I think it begins and ends. And I might even take a flyer on two or three guys, or maybe not three, but at least two guys at the wide receiver spot because you can always find these gems. Guys, you know, I go back to the Desmond Patmans of the world, the, you know, out of Washington State, a guy who put up good numbers but was always just kind of an anomaly and you couldn't figure out why it didn't. I mean, I'm telling you, if this kid walked in the door, you would not think he plays wide receiver. You would be like, you know, this guy puts his hand on the ground and, you know, you can wash clothes on his abs. And then you find out that he's, you know, he can go attack the football and do some things, but he just needs work. You know, I would, I would look for Michael Pittman Jr., that he already has uh, some, some rapport with Sam Darnold, obviously, and then looked at maybe at Desmond Patton as a steal later on in the draft. And then offensive line-wise, you know, um, uh, you, you, offensive line-wise, maybe out of the Pac-12, you would have some options. You know, you go for a guy who will open up holes like a, you know, Shane Lemieux probably won't be sitting around there, but, you know, maybe you luck out and a guy like, you know, Jake Hansen still sitting around or Calvin Throckmorton, you know, some things like that uh, to be able to, to, to do some things that, you know, obviously open up holes. And uh, I was always a run-first guy when I was a coach. You know, I want to be able to create, you know, have the run create, uh, play action pass opportunities. So if I got to lean one way or the other, a guy who's a better athlete, I think you already did that with George Fant. So I would look for a guy who's a more of a road grader and create some holes. Uh, and, and, and if I have to push a little later in the draft, maybe a Jared, you know, a Jared Hobers would be a guy I'd take a look at. He's a Pac-12 analyst, a morning show host, a coach, a chauffeur. I think he runs an eBay store, too. As he said, about 20 <laughs> different jobs, Mr. Nigel Burton. Nigel, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Love the insight that you brought on these Pac-12 players. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not sure how keen you are on moving to New York, but if something happens with Adam Gase, you're at the top of my list now for coaches to <laughs> replace him. So I hope you like New York-style pizza. Really appreciate you coming on. For those that don't know where to find you and want to get more of your insight how can they get a hold of you on social media and where can they find your work uh they can find me uh, on twitter at coach in burton for nigel burton coach at coach in burton on uh, uh twitter and instagram or uh if you have the iheart radio app uh just uh click on portland or rip city mornings with dan and nigel and and uh hear us make idiots of ourselves every morning but uh, we try to make you laugh and and have a little insight and things too. And uh, I would not coach again. Uh, I'm good. I, I, I was tired of getting yelled at, but uh, GM <laughs> where you can kind of sit back and, you know, pick the players and then let somebody else get yelled at. I'm all for that. <laughs> well, either way, if you make your way to New York for any reason, you got my number, let me know. Cause I can direct you to some of the best pizza places in the country. Our mutual friend, Alex Kirshner, I always tease him when he makes his way to New York. I'm going to give him a long list that he can print out of pizza places to go on a bit of a scavenger hunt. <laughs> well done. Love it. Love it. Well, appreciate the time, Scott. Absolutely. Thank you, Nigel. Appreciate it. Please go ahead and follow Nigel on Twitter at Coach N. Burton. Make sure that you're listening to him 
on the stream that you can get, as you said, 620 Rip City Radio or NBC Northwest. I got to say, my personal favorite parts of the show is Nigel giving his coaching stories and, as we heard today, his insight from the Pac-12, but also his co-host Dan Shelton's Steve Spurrier impression is actually outstanding. It's probably Uh, the best thing that he does. Well played. (laughs) (laughs) appreciate it scott thanks man absolutely if you haven't given us a five-star review on itunes yet please go ahead and do that it doesn't cost you any money it doesn't take you much time but it really helps us out a lot so if you like what we're doing if you could do that for us really appreciate it and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcast you know where to go that's turn on the jets digital and turn on the jets.com